Amen. All right. You ready to jump into the word of God? Amen. All right. So here we go. I've got a word from the Lord from 2 Corinthians 4 for all of us here today. Would you go with me in prayer? Lord, we come before you this morning and we do thank you for your saving grace. God, we do thank you for, for taking care of us during these times. God, you provide so generously for us. And so, Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, for what you have done and what you are continuing to do in our lives and in our community. We thank you for all the churches in our area that have been reaching out to our community to reach and meet needs of those that are struggling. And, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather. We thank you for this generator that is working that wasn't working last night for a little while till midnight, but now it's working right now. We thank you for it. We thank you that we're able to have service. We're able to gather. And Lord, I just pray, God, that you would open all of our hearts to be able to receive what it is that you would speak to us. Lord, you have spoken to us most clearly through your word. And Lord, we want to receive what it is you'd say to us. And God, I ask that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of you know that Elvis Presley's hair was sold yesterday for $72,500? Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? His barber that he had for two decades would collect his hair, loose hair, and would put it in a bag... And then eventually realized he was onto something and uh, put it in a jar to preserve it. And I, I read this yesterday. The news said that that hair, I mean, it looked like it was just a little pile about like this big, was auctioned for $72,500. You think your hair would go for that much? Manny Vera and Matt Hamilton cut hair for the volunteers that were here. Would, would y'all give them a hand of applause and thanks for coming and cutting hair for the volunteers? I guarantee you the hair we swept up went in the dumpster, not in a Ziploc bag and into a, a jar to be sold and auctioned. But when, when I read that article, it just reminded me of what we're talking about the last two weeks, last week and then this week. We're talking about hope rising. We're talking about where do we find hope? Where do we find meaning? Where do we find purpose in the middle of all of this? And, and for this person who purchased Elvis Presley's, Elvis Presley's hair for $72,500, built into that purchase is this idea that if I own Elvis Presley's hair, that I'm going to have more meaning or more hope or more purpose in life. I'm going to be something because I have Elvis Presley's hair. I just, I just hate to break it to the person that um, you really... Whoever you are, you just have, you just have some dead hair. And, um, and maybe some of you, you like Elvis a lot and you wish that you had it too. <laughs> but where is it that we find meaning and hope? We talked about that last week. That God has given us a hope that is the anchor for our soul. And the hope that we have is not based upon temp- having temporary things. It's not based upon having a, a house that is perfectly in order. It's not based upon having money and possessions. It's not, our hope is not founded upon all of those things, having possessions and things that we want to accumulate here in this life, that our hope is eternal. That ultimately, the, the anchor, the hope that, that, that anchors our soul is that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been promised heaven. That one day, when we pass from here, that the Lord said, he said he was going away to prepare a place for us. And so our, 
our eyes and our mind and our heart are not fixed on earthly things. So yeah, the storm and Ida can take things away from us, but what, they, what, what, the, what a storm cannot take away from us are the things that are most important, the things that are eternal, and that is the hope that is the anchor for our soul. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, it's on YouTube, you can go back and listen to that. But today what I want to talk about, and this will really be the, the, the final message in this Hope Rising two-part series. We're going to get back to Second Peter next week. I want to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about our responsibility to proclaim the gospel. I want to talk about how the gospel transforms this. To me, this is the lesson. It is the message. No matter what season or stage of life that we are in, no matter what calamity or trial we're walking through, whether it's cancer or a hurricane, Whatever circumstance we're walking through, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the focus that we must maintain in all that we do, in in every way that we respond. It must be the anchor point. It is the foundation of our hope. You know, the word gospel in the New Testament comes from the Greek word euangelion, euangelion. And it's translated to literally mean the good news. The gospel, euangelion, is translated to mean the good news. So the gospel is a message. It is good news. And true hope can only come, true meaning, true purpose, can only come from God's good news. From God's good news. And what we want to do here is this morning, we're going to look at God's good news as described in 2 Corinthians 4, one through six. The Apostle Paul is talking about this euangelion, this good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and we're going to unpack some things here concerning the good news. Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel, euangelion, even if our gospel, the good news is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, those that are unbelievers, the God, the lowercase God, Satan, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is God's word to us today. So I want us to think about this good news today. As we are thinking about recovery, as we're thinking about restoration, as we're thinking about rebuilding, as we're thinking about as a church, this is a message to us today. This is a message for our church today. This is a message if you're here today and you're a visitor, welcome today. It's a message for you, but it's a message for our church We're thinking about recovery, rebuilding, moving forward. We must have a laser focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to remind us of some important things concerning this good news. The first one is this. 
that proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. Notice what the Apostle Paul says there in the first part of this verse in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. What does that mean? It means that it is only the mercy of God that any of us could ever be used by God to open our mouth and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. It is only by His mercy. It is only by His mercy that, 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 that we can, for the last two weeks, be out there being the hands and feet of Christ and, and preaching and demonstrating the gospel to our community it is only by the mercy of God. I mean, think about your life before Christ. If you, if you would think back to who you were before, before the Lord saved you, and you would think about what you used to do, who you used to be, who you used to hang out with, and now you think about who you are now and how God uses you now, it is in that moment that you realize it is only by the mercy of God that I can be used to be a spokesman for Christ. To be an ambassador, as the Apostle Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Think of it, that the God of the universe would say, Ben Bufkin, I want you to be my ambassador. Fill in your name. I want you to be my ambassador. It is only by the mercy of God. I, I often think about this. You know, I'm up here proclaiming, I'm looking at this section in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm proclaiming the truths of this section of scripture that God has spoken, but these lips that are speaking right now can still lie, can still gossip, can still backbite, can still say things that I wish I wouldn't have said. These same lips right here, this tongue right here that can sin, God is using these lips to proclaim his eternal, sinless, perfect truth. And it's only by the mercy of God. And you can do the same thing too. You are called to actually do the same thing. You may not do it behind a, a wooden pulpit, but if you did it this week in your neighborhood when you passed out lunches, or if you brought lunches to linemen, don't we love our linemen that are getting out there and working and, and setting up power? It's only by the mercy of God that you can be the hands and feet of Christ and you can, and you can give acts of kindness in the name of Jesus. But it's only by the mercy of God that you can open your mouth, a mouth that can still sin, but a mouth... That by the grace of God is forgiven. A heart that is forgiven and a heart that is cleansed that is becoming more like Christ every day. By his grace, we can open our mouth by his mercy and proclaim the goodness and the mercy of God. You know, the, the, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this, he had all the credentials. He was a Jew of all Jews. He was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. He was educated at the highest level in Judaism. And when he comes and he introduces himself, and he talks about all of these, these credentials in his letters, he doesn't introduce himself with all these credentials. He introduces himself differently. And I love what he says in Philippians 3 about these credentials. He says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Every Jewish male circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. It's a great tribe. I love that tribe. If you don't know my name, my name is Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. It, and by the way, it's one of the smallest tribes, which makes sense. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Paul says he was blameless. 
Amazing. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul doesn't come in here boasting and saying, hey, I've got it all together. And because I have it all together, because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, because I'm blameless according to the law, then you need to listen to me. He doesn't come in here with all of his credentials. He comes and he writes and he says, all of that I count as loss. And he recognizes as he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, this ministry that I have, it is by the mercy of God. It's by the mercy of God. You know, the truth is, is that too many people are looking to make it to the top. Too many people are looking to be number one. Too many people are looking to have greater influence. They want to have great influence. They want to have great power, not only in the secular world, but in the church world. Too many people are trying to get to the top, looking to be noticed. And the truth is that the gospel cannot get through people like that. The gospel cannot get through a person that is coming and their end game is to be noticed, to be seen, and to be heard, and to gain notoriety. The gospel is shielded, it's veiled. The purity of the gospel is lost. But whenever you come and you recognize, God, if it was not for your mercy, I could never proclaim this gospel. If it was not for your mercy, I could never be your hands and feet. When you recognize from that posture of humility, there is nothing that God cannot do through your life. There's nothing he cannot do through your life. And what's awesome is, what's powerful is, is that it is in that place of humility that Christ can be seen most beautifully. 1 Corinthians 1, the apostle says this, reminder to all of us, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's us. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, so that no human being might boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's by God's mercy. We're not the most wise. We're not the most powerful. That's not who God has chosen to use. He doesn't, he doesn't choose. He doesn't look around and say, I'm going to find the most qualified person to use. You know what he does? He looks around and he says, I'm going to find the most unqualified person, but the most willing person. Isaiah 6, the prophet saw the Lord high and lifted up. And God speaks and says, who will go? What did Isaiah say? Here I am I, send me. Amen? Oh, y'all are awfully quiet today. <laughs> Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. And you know what the promise connected to that is? You know what the power connected to that is? Notice back at the verse, the first section of that verse, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. This is so, so good. It's, it's all God's mercy. It's God's mercy that we get to even be used. And so if it's by God's mercy that we get to be used, then I don't, I don't lose heart. 
It means that this is his ministry. It means that this is his church. It means that this is his gospel. And so I don't lose heart, though, 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 though it could look bad, though it could look concerning in whatever season or state that we're in. When we have the understanding that it's all by the mercy of God, that's the foundation of not losing heart. Have you ever felt like losing heart lately? No, we don't lose heart. Listen to what the psalmist David says. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart. Have you been there? Have you been like the psalmist David? I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Yes, I say wait on the Lord. Amen. We do not lose heart. Because proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. It was by his mercy that he saved us. And it will be by his mercy that we'll tell others about him. This is the first thing we must remember. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is by the mercy of God. And aren't you thankful for the mercy of God that gives you the, the, the ability and the power to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that transformed your life? Are you thankful for that? Amen. It's the first thing we need to remember. Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God. Look back at the text. Here's the second thing. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The second thing we must remember as concerning this gospel, this euangelion, this good news, is that proclaiming the gospel takes a commitment to the truth. It takes a commitment to the truth. Notice what the apostle says here. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We're not here scheming. We're not here underhanded, trying to do things our own way. No, we've, we've renounced those things. We're not after people's, people's applause or praise or, or their finances. We refuse to practice cunning. Or to tamper with God's word. And I love this. How do we proclaim the gospel? I love it. But by the open statement of the truth. The open statement of the truth. This is powerful here. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What do we do as Christians? We don't tamper with God's word. We don't twist it. We don't change it. And we openly by the open statement of the truth we declare it and we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience we let the word of god be brought to bear on the conscience of man and that is done in the sight of god you you guys follow that it's powerful what we're doing is as christians we're saying hey what i have to say is really of little to no importance to you in your life but what god has to say in his holy word has great implications in in your life. And whenever people receive the holy word of God about who he is, about who they are apart from Christ, then that is done in the sight of God, which means that people aren't accountable to us. They're accountable to who? To God. When we proclaim the gospel, it takes a commitment to the truth. I just want to say this. The gospel is a message. This euangelion, this good news, it's it's a message. It's, 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 it's words. The gospel is words. So we're saying it's good news. Have you ever gotten good news before? You ever somebody knock on your door? 
And they come. Have you ever had publishers clearinghouse come to your door yet? I've been waiting for that for years. What they tell you, they're going to give you $5,000 a day. Is it a day or a week for the rest of your life? I'm, I'm waiting on the door. But I don't buy the magazine. But can you imagine if Publishers Clearinghouse showed up and they knocked on the door and they don't say anything? You open the door and you look at them. Hey, can I help you? And they stand there. And it becomes a staring contest. And you're just looking at them. They have good news for you. They have good news that you're going to make $5,000 a week for the rest of your life. But they keep their mouth shut. That's not good news. That's bad news. What do they have to do? They have to open their mouth. And this good news of Jesus Christ, if you're going to knock on the door, you better open your mouth and declare the good news concerning Jesus Christ by the open statement of the truth. We open our mouth and we declare the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so what is the open statement of truth concerning the gospel? I could have chosen a lot of sections to show you, but I love Romans 1.16. It tells us this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is how I summarized. What is the open statement concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is how it's summarized here. The gospel is a bold message and we are not ashamed to proclaim it. The gospel is a bold message and we are not ashamed to proclaim it. Secondly, it is a powerful message right here from Romans 1. It is a bold message, but it is a powerful message because it is God's good news. It is the power of God for salvation. It is a saving message because it is the only message that can truly transform the heart. And notice what verse 16 and 16 says, it is a universal message. It is for both Jews and Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew here today, you're a Gentile. So that means the gospel is for everyone, right? This is the open statement concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't water it down. We don't alter it to accommodate human preferences. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. And we we preach it boldly. So if you're here today, maybe you're here today and you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the gospel. Here it is. Here's the gospel. The gospel is this. This is the good news concerning Jesus. The good news starts with the bad news. The bad news is this. Is that inherently we are sinful. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else and wicked and who can understand it and know it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So man is sinful, but the polar opposite of man is God as creator who is holy and perfectly righteous and without sin. And the only way that we as sinful man can be in relationship with a holy God is that God had to do something. And if God had not done something, then, then scripture tells us that apart from reconciliation with the holy God, we were under the judgment of God. We were under his judgment because of our sin. But the good news is, is that the good news doesn't stay the bad news. Because if that's all the story, if that's all the story of Scripture, that's all the story of God's good news, and it's not good news, and we're just all dead in our sin. But the good news is, is that Jesus became our substitute. 
the Bible says that Jesus became our substitutionary atoning sacrifice, meaning this. What that means is, is that Jesus took our place. That's what it means to be a substitute. And he atoned. That means he paid for. He became the ransom. He paid the price for our sins. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. There had to be a payment. So Jesus became the perfect, sinless, atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then the Bible says, and also in Romans chapter 10, that if you would believe in your heart, that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that apart from Christ, we are under the judgment of God. So back to what I said earlier, the gospel is a bold message. It's a bold message. That means that when we go and we proclaim this gospel that is only by the mercy of God, we're telling people you're a sinner. You ever tried that before? Go knock on somebody's door. Got some news for you here today. You're a sinner. And you need help. And Jesus is the only way that you can find help. Try that one time. See how it goes for you. It's a bold message. Other messages are easier to preach. I mean, I, I could preach messages that I go tell people, hey, God's got a great plan for your life. He wants you to be successful and healthy and wealthy and happy. And, and, and I can knock on the door and tell people that and they'll invite me in for coffee. But the gospel is a bold message. But it's a message we've been given by the mercy of God to proclaim. But it is a saving message. It's the message that God has given. It's the answer to the sinfulness of humanity. I love what the prophet Ezekiel says. This is a picture long before Jesus ever walked the earth and became our sacrifice on the cross. Prophet Ezekiel prophesied about the new covenant. He says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all of your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. This is the good news of the gospel. Now that that heart that has a tendency towards sin, when you become a new creation, you're given a new heart, a new nature with new desires to please God, to honor God. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. When you become born again, God fills you with his Holy Spirit. I will put within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Amen? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim it. We speak it. By the open statement of the truth. Why? Because this message is how God has chosen to save. This is why. When we proclaim, proclaiming the gospel takes a commitment to the truth. Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God, but it t- takes a commitment to the truth. Why? Because this message is how God has chosen to save. I love it. In 1 Corinthians, it says, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The world will look at that message and they'll say, This is folly. But that's how God chose to save those who will believe. Some of you here today, if you're not a believer, you think this is just folly. But when the Lord gets a hold of your heart and you come to understand the true condition of your, of your, of your heart apart from Christ, it will go from folly to beauty. It will go from foolishness to faith. That's the power of the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel is by the mercy of God and proclaiming the gospel takes 
a commitment to the truth. And lastly, this morning, proclaiming the gospel is about pointing others to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Pointing others to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look back at the text in 2 Corinthians. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Meaning they cannot see. What, what can they not see? In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant, for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. It's shown in our hearts, and he's given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What, cannot, what can the unbeliever not see? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is what we proclaim. It is proclaiming the gospel. It's about pointing people to seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, God is perfectly holy. He is set apart from his creation. He is sinless perfection. Right now, the book of Revelation tells us that angels and seraphim are around his throne. 24 hours a day. They're proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Our God is holy. Our God is perfectly righteous. the, the, The God of creation who made creation and you and I, he dwells in unapproachable light. This is our God. Look at 1 Timothy 6. It says this, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone, God, has immortality, who dwells in what? Unapproachable light, whom no one has seen, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. This is our God. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is holy. He is perfectly righteous. His glory is powerful and strong. And proclaiming the gospel is about pointing people to that glory as demonstrated in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not just a man. Though he was a man, he was fully man. But scripture tells us he was God made flesh. God put on skin. He was the son of man, but he was the son of God. The glory of God. Think about this. The perfectly holy, righteous, sinless God who dwells in unapproachable light put on skin and came and walked the earth. That's what John says. Says just in John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word, the eternal word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his what? His glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the perfect righteousness of God and his glory and his power were were perfectly demonstrated through the life of Christ. The the disciples, they would ask Jesus when he walked with them. One of them in particular, Philip, said, 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 Lord, can you, Jesus, teacher, can you show us the father? And Jesus looked at Philip and said, have I been with you this long that you don't know? He said, when you've seen me, speaking of himself, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is the perfect representation of, the, of our Heavenly Father. Now, you know, my son Joel, many of you, have you seen my son Joel lately? He keeps getting taller. He's got glasses like me. Joel is my mini-me. My, all the people that are coming around here, 
um, from out of state. They don't really know us well yet. Sometimes they'll see Joel walking down the hallway and they'll think that it's Pastor Ben. You know, right? He's my mini-me. But I just want you to, I want to tell you right now, I want to clear it up in case you're confused. Joel is not a perfect reflection of me. He doesn't perfectly reflect my ideas, my thoughts, my maturity, right? You know, I'm just so mature. Um, but he's not a perfect reflection. But Jesus was the perfect reflection of the, our Heavenly Father because Jesus was God in the flesh. So, so if you want to know what God is like, many of you have this idea of who God is. And he's up there in heaven with a, a baseball bat ready to pounce you on the head. But if you want to know who God is, look no further than the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let's do that for a second. You guys want to... See the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Who is God? Who is God the Father? God is compassionate and is touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is our compassionate high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, with our temptation, with our struggle, with our worry, with our fear. He's our sympathetic high priest. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God leaves the 99. Who is our heavenly father? He leaves the 99 to search for the one. Matthew 18, 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountain to seek the one that is straying? That's the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Who is our God? He goes after the one that is lost. He leaves the 99. He goes after, pursues after the one that is straying, that is lost. This is the heart of our Father as demonstrated in the face, in the life of Jesus Christ. Who is our God? Our God touches the unclean. Look at Mark chapter 1. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be clean. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our God touches the unclean. Jesus could have healed him in, in any way possible. He could have healed him in, 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 in any way he wanted to. But he healed a leper by touching his uncleanness. This is our God. Who is our God? He's a God who restores the repentant and the broken. Look at Luke 15. But the father, the story of the prodigal son, the rebellious son who went and received his inheritance early from his father. Jesus tells this parable and he goes and he squanders all of his inheritance. The Bible says on riotous living. That means he lived a, he, he lived a party lifestyle. He went and lived it up. He went and gambled it all away. He went and, and spent it on prostitutes. And the Bible says in Luke 15 that that son came to his senses, while he was in the pigsty, eating the pig slop, because he had no other food, and he, he was there eating the pig slop, he realized, wait a minute, my servants in my father's house, they eat better than me, and I'm a son. 
And he says, but I'm not worthy to go back home. I'm not worthy to go back. And he goes over this repentant speech in his mind as he's walking back to the road, back home. And the father receives him, runs out to meet him, embraces him. And look at, look at who our God is. Luke 15. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. You know what he had on him? He had a robe full of pig stuff. And he says, oh, take, 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 take that off. Take off that symbol of his sinfulness and his old lifestyle. Take that off. I'm going to put a, a, new, a new robe. Not just a, another robe from the closet. I want the best one. I want the best robe. Take out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. What, what, what did the ring mean? The ring meant that it, had, it, would, have had a, it would have been a signet ring with the, the, the symbol of the family name on that ring, which means that not only was he given the best robe, but he was given the family authority back, the, the, the power of the name of the father. Put a robe, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, the one we've been saving for a great celebration. Let's kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this was, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is our God. A God who restores the repentant and the broken. A God who touches the unclean. The glory of God. This is what... Satan wants to blind the minds of unbelievers from seeing this is our God. Who is our God? He's a God that so loves the world that he took our place. John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved. God could have came in and just been done with the world. But the fact that Jesus came tells us that he didn't come just to destroy and condemn. He came to save. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what the world can't see, but this is what we must proclaim. And by the power of the gospel, the eyes of of the unbelievers, the minds are opened up and they can see that, that, that our God is a God of love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and restoration and hope and peace. And if we're going to proclaim this gospel, we must always remember, God, this message is only by your mercy that I can proclaim it. And this message, we must proclaim it according to truth and be bold about it. But ultimately, the purpose behind the the proclamation of the message is that we don't want people to see us. We want people to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We want them to look through us, past us. We want them to hear this message of the gospel and for their eyes to be open, for them to come to realize that they are lost without a Savior. And that God can restore, God can forgive, God can heal, God can save. This is what we say, don't look on us, look to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to all of us here today. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you here today? And you're weary from trying to be good on your own, trying to find a righteousness of your own to please God? Are you weary? Give up. Stop. And come to Jesus. Come see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Come and see Him. Embrace Him. Receive Him as the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Believer, if you're here today, are you weary and overwhelmed and burdened with your situations? Come to Christ. He is gentle. He is lowly. He will give you rest for your souls. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. And this is the message we proclaim. And this is the message that will never change. It is the message we will always proclaim. It is the message we will always preach. It is the message that this world needs. It's the message that every person in those vehicles that are passing through on our property it is the message that they so desperately need. Because it is the message. It is this gospel, this euangelion, this good news that is the only message that has eternal implications. Every other false gospel is just simply focused on temporary, earthly realities. But it is this message, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, is the only message that has eternal implications. It is the only message that can save. The only one. And it is this message that has shaped this church for 42 plus years, and it will be this message that will continue to shape our future. It is this message that we will preach until we die, until the Lord takes us home. I'm not preaching about Elvis Presley's hair. I'm not preaching about temporary earthly things that will flee and go away. I'm going to preach on eternal matters, the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Just close your eyes. In a posture of prayer. If you are here today. And you have never come to Jesus. Jesus makes the call. He says come to me. Come to me. Not not to me. Ben Bufkin. Not to the church. Living word church. He says come to me. If you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus as the Lord, you never repented of your sins, you never acknowledged your sinfulness apart from Christ, and you want to be born again today, you want to be made brand new. To be born again means that you are made brand new from the inside out. You're saying that, Jesus, I'm placing my hope in you to be the one who takes care of my sins, not myself. And I want to receive you as my Savior today. If that's you, would you lift your hands? Is there anybody here to just lift? Just lift one hand. It's between you and the Lord. Is there anybody here today you would say that that is you? Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anybody else? You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to receive Christ today. Anyone else? All right, here's here's what we're going to do. Just keep your eyes closed and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer, commitment to Christ. And if that's you, 
And you're, you're saying this in your heart. This is what I want to, this, this is what God is doing in my heart. He is drawing me to himself. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we can all pray it. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you are the only answer. And I acknowledge that Jesus is the only satisfaction for my sins. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. I repent, I turn from my sins. I place my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And I thank you that today that I am made brand new. My sins are forgiven. I have a new life in Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that, if you, yes, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to talk to you. I want to meet with you. I will, I will be at the welcome desk right after. I'm going to go straight to the welcome desk there. It's in the foyer on the right side. If you prayed that prayer, I want to talk to you. I want to give you a Bible. I want to help you to talk about your next steps and your faith with Christ. Amen. God bless you. Hey, we have lunch. You can exit these doors. And there's going to be lunch under the front awning. So we'll, we'll have food. If you need some supplies as you're leaving, there's supplies, some supplies that are in the foyer. Whatever you need, we'll do our best to help you. God bless you. See, see you next week.